While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and besought him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I'd like to continue on our sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway, by looking at the musical Hamilton. As you know, it was written by Lynn manuel Miranda. He was born in New York City. His heritage mainly comes from Puerto Rico and from Mexico. But he was born and raised in New York City and graduated from high school and went off to Wesleyan College in Connecticut. Now, Wesleyan University there happens to be the first institution of higher learning to be named after John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Well, he went there when he was 18, and there in his freshman year, he began to write a, a musical about growing up in the Heights there in New York City. By his sophomore year, he had convinced the theater department there to, to put it on, to put the musical on. They did perform it, and it was so successful, they thought, we may really be on to something. He graduated in 2002, and he continued to work in refining the music and the storyline. And finally, it was in 2008, In the Heights opened on Broadway. Now, when it opened on Broadway, it garnered 13 Tony uh, nominations. It would win four, one of them being Best Musical. It was a huge success. He was all at 29 years old. 29 years old, and here you have this kind of success on Broadway. Well, right between the time of it being off-Broadway and going to on-Broadway, Lin-Manuel Miranda and his wife took a, took a short vacation to go to the beach. And it's while he was walking through the airport that he stopped into one of those bookstores, and he saw a book by Ron Chernow entitled Hamilton. He picked it up for beach reading, took it on his vacation, got down on the beach and started reading, and he thought, now this is a story that needs to be told. He didn't know much about Hamilton. Five years ago, how much did you know about Hamilton? No, he had began reading through the book. It began to inspire him. So he started working on a song. How could he create a, a, a hip-hop rap song to basically tell the, the first part of Hamilton's life? It was in May of 2009, Barack Obama had been elected president. And he and Michelle had created what they call a day of poetry, music, and speaking. And, and they were bringing people in to the select audience just to perform. And Lynn manuel was one of those chosen to do that. 
He was going to be the last person to perform. They had asked him, would you come in and do something from in the heights? Well, when he got there that day, he stood up and said, you know, I really don't want to do something from in the heights. I've been working on this new piece. And what I want to do is I, I want to tell the story of a man who embodies hip hop. It is the secretary treasurer, Alexander Hamilton. Well, of course, Obama and everybody else just starts cracking up laughing. You got the secretary treasurer, Alexander Hamilton, is going to be the embodiment of hip hop? Well, they're laughing, but Lynn is not. And so he then begins to sing. And everybody kind of starts getting into the beat. And then they kind of start uh, laughing. And, and then they start listening. And then their mouths start hanging open. And when he gets through, they jump to their feet in a standing ovation. He would later recount how he had already made the decision. This was the first time it had been performed in front of an audience. And he kind of thought, you know, if with this audience, if it doesn't go over, well, then I'm going to drop this and move on to a different project. If it goes over, then maybe I'll continue to work on developing. And so he decided he would continue to develop the project. That was in 2009. It would open on Broadway in August the 6th, 2015. It would garner 16 Tony nominations. It would win 11 awards, including Best New Musical. It truly became a pop cultural phenomenon. It is still selling to packed houses every night in New York. But now it is also going around the country in the touring groups. There was one, and then there was such a demand it became two, and such a demand it became three. It is here in Oklahoma City. Still playing to packed houses everywhere, people coming to their feet. No, it's, it truly is an interesting phenomenon to try to understand exactly what's going on. Because the question is, who knows about Hamilton? Five years ago, what we really knew for sure was his face was on a $10 bill. But Congress was debating who to replace him with. Do you remember that? We were going to replace Hamilton on the $10 bill. There's no talk about that now. Now, what did we know about it? Well, it is a fascinating story. His mother, Rachel, well, she was born and raised on St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. As a teenager, a young person, she was actually forced to marry an older man. He was very abusive to her. They had one child, a son. She wanted out. He wouldn't agree. She finally ran away. She ran away to St. Kitts, and there she met a man, James Hamilton. He was a Scottish. Since she was not divorced, they simply moved to Nevis, a little island near St. Kitts, and there they had a home, and they would live together for years. They would have two children, two boys. Her husband would finally track her down and find out and threaten to sue her as a bigamist, and James left, and now she was back on her own with two children. She moved back home to St. Croix, got herself a little flat. She was working as a clerk in a store, 
Both of the boys had to be working to try to help make ends meet. They couldn't go to school because the Church of England school for kids there in St. Croix would not allow them to come because they were considered illegitimate. So they couldn't get an education, but they were reading on their own and they were studying on their own everything they could get their hands on. But they hadn't been back all that long settling into St. Croix when, when the mother came down with yellow fever. And at 38 years old, Rachel died. The two boys, who were now 13 and 15, they moved in with a cousin. But he was struggling in his own life and financial difficulties. And not long after they moved in, he committed suicide. And so now the two boys were orphans. Alexander was working for the man who had been the landlord for his mom and the kids. He owned an import-export business. And he soon realized that Alexander was very smart. He may not have had school learning. He knew how to read, write. He was smart. And he began bringing him along in the business, even though he was so young. And when he would be gone, he would let Alexander run the office. But this had gone on for just a year or two when St. Croix got hit with a hurricane, a terrible hurricane that devastated the island. And Alexander wrote a piece about this, and it really was kind of a fire and brimstone article saying that it was God who was bringing wrath on St. Croix for all the way that people were living and what they were doing, and we better start thinking about how we're living life. He wrote it anonymously. It got published in the paper. But it so well described the social situation of the island, and it was written so well and passionately that everybody wanted to know who wrote this. When they tracked it down and found out that it was Alexander, his boss, and a local minister were so impressed that they made a commitment that they were going to raise money in order to buy passage for Alexander to come to New York, to come to the United States, this new country, and allow him to go to college there at, at King's College, which would become Columbia. So in 1772, because of the kindness of these two men and all who contributed, Alexander Hamilton got on a boat and sailed to New York, really to begin a new life. What an incredible gift. A gift that changed his life and really a gift that changed our country. To feel badly about yourself and then to receive a gift of a new beginning. That's exactly what happened in our scripture lesson this morning. This scripture of Jesus and the man who was a leper. You know, being a leper in Jesus' day was about the worst thing that could happen to you. People in that day knew that leprosy would kill you. You would start watching your hand turn white. Your fingers would grow numb. They would rot and fall off. It would happen to your toes and your feet. It would literally kill you in the end. They had no idea what to do about it, but they had figured out it was contagious. And if you got leprosy, you were thrown out of the family you were thrown out of the community. You had to go live on the countryside. And typically they went and lived in caves with other lepers. 
You had to count on the generosity of people giving you food or giving you clothes. So we're usually hungry and in rags. If you were out near a road and you saw someone coming, you had to holler, leper, leper, unclean. It was horrible. Well, this man had gotten leprosy. Not because of anything he had done. Life was so hard. And then he heard Jesus was coming by. Everybody was talking about Jesus. People were starting to say he might be the Messiah. They had heard he had healed people. And so this leper did what he wasn't supposed to do. He drew near to the road, got near Jesus, didn't touch him. That was severely against the law. He drew near and he just said, have mercy on me. Heal me. And Jesus did. Not because he earned it. Not because he deserved it. Not because of anything he had done. It was the gift of God's grace to be healed and given the opportunity for a new beginning. It's why you and I come to worship week after week so that we can experience again that gift of God's grace that says no matter what has happened in your past, you have the opportunity for a new beginning because of the gift of God's grace. I want us to think about that opportunity and what it means and should mean to us today by looking at this passage and by looking at some of the songs from Hamilton. First, the song Alexander Hamilton that we heard a moment ago. It is the song that opens the, the musical, if you've been to see it. That opening song is what he's saying at the White House. And in that song, Lin-Manuel Miranda tries to set the stage of what has happened to Alexander Hamilton and the life he's now living. Because it is so harsh. You see, there are two words, two labels that placed on him that will haunt him all of his life. Illegitimate and immigrant. He was an illegitimate child. You know, you know I have always, just that has always made me so angry to hear people ever say that. How is a child illegitimate? Every child is a legitimate child of God. Every person matters in the eyes of God. For Alexander Hamilton, because his parents were not married, he couldn't go to school. He was considered less than. When he gets to America, he is a penniless immigrant. He comes with no family here. It will be... Adams, President Adams, ultimately President Jefferson, when they are in all these political debates, they will always throw out, you are illegitimate, you're an immigrant. How can an immigrant love this country as much as we do? It would always be a struggle. It turned out that Ron Chernoff, who wrote the book, Hamilton, would ultimately be hired on by Lin-Manuel in order to be a historical consultant. He wanted to get the story right, historical. And so Ron was a consultant. And because of his work, how he got paid was he was promised 
1% of all adjusted gross revenue. That was a good decision. <laughs> but he worked with him as he was writing all of these things. And I want to read you what, uh, what Ron had to say. The shame Hamilton experienced as a child hounded him throughout his life. Born into the stigma of illegitimacy, Hamilton grew familiar with that painful label in the 18th century. Hamilton lived with wretched feelings of shame and degradation and was a mass of insecurities that he usually kept well hidden and constantly lived with the wounds left by his accursed boyhood. Hamilton himself wrote, My birth is the subject of the most humiliating criticism. He would go through life having to wrestle with those labels. It would not be until he really became a little older as a man that he would finally find a peace in the grace of Jesus Christ. To be able to set aside those labels in the past and to be at peace with who he was. I think of this leper who came to Jesus and how he must have felt so unworthy. I mean, he's cast out. He is treated as trash by everyone. And he comes to Jesus. Now, don't miss this in the scripture. It goes by so quick. It says, Jesus touched him and healed him. Jesus didn't have to touch him. No, that was the very thing you shouldn't do to a leper. You don't touch the leper. That was against the law. That made you unclean. How often Jesus spoke and healed somebody. No, it says he reached out to touch him. Because that way he wasn't just healing him physically. He was healing him emotionally, spiritually, to reach out and do the thing that no one was allowed to do, to touch him. To say, you are a legitimate child of God. You matter. That's what sometimes you and I forget. Because of our past, because of our labels, we come to worship so we remember that we are legitimate children of God. The gift of grace on which we build our lives. But secondly, the song, My Shot, that we just heard a moment ago. My Shot. After Lin-Manuel Miranda had performed at the White House and decided, I think I may be onto something here, he would spend one year writing My Shot. Again, he had Ron Chair now working with him in order to be able to make sure he was historically getting this just right. What was he saying? What was the spirit? Was it true? He worked on this because this is what the show was really about. The idea that, that Alexander was coming to the United States in 1772 for a new beginning in this country, it was his shot. His opportunity to do something with his life that mattered. And remember what's going on in 1772. Everybody's talking about revolution. A new country may be formed. He is being swept up in this opportunity. It's my shot to make a difference. 
Now, I don't know if many of us know exactly what Alexander Hamilton did with his shot. Do you really know the things that he accomplished? I got to be honest, I didn't until I started doing so much research for this sermon. Alexander Hamilton? Well, he was a member of the Continental Congress, helping to decide the future of our country. He was the author of the Federalist Papers. It was the writings, he wrote 50 out of about 80, that convinced states to vote for the Constitution and a strong central government. He wrote the Federalist Papers. He becomes the first Secretary of the Treasury. He helped found the first national bank, the U.S. Mint, the U.S. Coast Guard. He founded the Bank of New York. It's America's oldest continuous banking organization. He started a daily broadsheet known as the New York Evening Post that grew into the New York Post. Now, he had an opportunity and he wasn't going to miss his shot to do something with it. Now, when Lin-Manuel Miranda began to gather all these cast members together for this show. They began learning about their characters and they sensed that same kind of passion. What an opportunity. Maybe this is our shot to do something that matters. There really is this spirituality about the show. I mean, it was fascinating. It turned out that Christopher Jackson... He's the one who originally played George Washington in the original uh, Broadway production. He started a tradition. Every night before they um, began the production, it was Christopher who would gather all the different cast together. They got in a circle and he would offer a prayer. And the prayer, he said, I, I want to lead the cast in prayer that we have the hope that everybody in the audience, on the stage, and in the orchestra pit will leave the theater a better person than when they walked in. Every night, the cast of Hamilton was coming together to pray, use us in such a way that maybe we will inspire, maybe we will touch someone's heart, that they will leave a better person than when they came in. I thought it was interesting this past Tuesday, Marsh and I were down at the Music Hall for getting to see Hamilton. We had seen it in February in Chicago, got to see it again this past Tuesday night. And we were sitting there before the musical began and we were reading through the playbill, reading all the little bios about the different actors. And it was Marsha who brought up and said, Bob, this one starts off by saying, first of all, I want to thank God. And then another one said, I want to thank God. And another one, I want to thank God. Now, we go to lots of productions and that's not the first thing usually in bios. And it kind of struck us, isn't that interesting? And then I learned about what Christopher Jackson had started from the very beginning of Hamilton. That people who seem to come together to work on this believe it is a spiritual production. It is our shot to bring a message to our country, to speak to people's lives that maybe we need to hear. What are you doing with the opportunity that has been given to you? I think about this leper who came to Jesus. 
again, from a difficult and horrible circumstance and through nothing he deserved, suddenly he receives God's grace to have a new beginning. You kind of wonder, what's he going to do with his shot? How excited does he get about the opportunity that Christ has now given to him? How excited do you get about the opportunity that's being given to you? I loved the song that came along. The world is wide enough. This song really is sung near the end of the show. It's by Aaron Burr. And it really is what the theme of the musical is about. The world is wide enough. The world is large enough. It's big enough. And it's after they've had the duel and Burr has shot Hamilton, mortally wounding him. He will die. And Burr is now reflecting on what happened. And he says, I was a fool. Why didn't I realize that the world is wide enough for Hamilton and me? It really was a musical that was supposed to be telling us all, you and I live in a world that's big enough for people who are different. People who may look different because of the color of their skin. People who are different because of sexual orientation. People who are different because of the things they believe. Is the world wide enough for you and me? Lin-Manuel Miranda wanted to do something about that. So when he first created the show, he made a decision about the characters, the cast. This is a show all about the obvious founding fathers and mothers of our country. They were all white. But he decided to make a cast only of people of color. People who are black, Latino. And when he told Ron, share now about that, Ron said he, he kind of went, whoa, okay. Uh, I don't know how that's going to go. But Ron would later say, you know, I went to the, the show and after two to three minutes, you, you didn't think about it. All you saw was great actors singing amazing music. You're drawn into the story. You really are pulled along with the history of our country and who we are. And who are we? Well, we're a diverse group of people. And the world is wide enough for Hamilton and me. That was something that Alexander Hamilton had come to realize. But later in life, he had been such a hothead. He was always angry, speaking his mind. And he and Burr had crossed swords many times. And so Burr challenged him to a, to a duel after Hamilton had spoken out and helped a candidate win. And in the end, Burr lost. More than he could finally take. Challenged him to a duel. And we know that when Hamilton went to that duel, most historians would say he had no intentions of trying to kill Aaron Burr. No, he had changed. From those early days when he was so intense and so angry and so right all the time, he had changed because three things happened. He had been the right-hand man of George Washington. He had been the person who ran so much for Washington. He had great power. But then after the war and then after two terms as president, Washington retired 
and all that influence and power of Hamilton begin to fade when Washington stepped out of the scene. And when you lose your power, that identity, your influence, that's tough. But secondly, an affair that he had had with Maria Reynolds came to light. And he published a paper about the Reynolds affair. And in the end, it caused so much struggles with his marriage at home with Eliza. But it also was effectively the end of his political career. But then third, his son Philip, 19 years old, went off to college. And he'd been off to college when another student gave a speech slamming Alexander Hamilton. And he got, and the son Philip got angry and stood up for his father's honor. And they decided to have a duel. And Philip came home and asked his father, what should he do? Alexander had been challenged to a duel more than a dozen times in his life. And so what usually happened in those days with a duel is you challenge someone to a duel and then you got together and someone apologized or took it back. Honor was spared and you never even picked up a gun. Another level was, well, you picked up a gun and you went to duel, but then someone would shoot into the sky. And so the etiquette said the other person must shoot into the sky and honor was saved and that was the end. Or if you took it to another level and you weren't satisfied with that and you shot at somebody, you usually tried to hit them in the foot or the hand. And only in rare cases did you actually shoot to kill. Well, his son went out and his, Alexander said, you shoot in the sky, the other one person will do the same. And he went to the duel and he shot into the air and the other student shot him, hit him in the hip. They brought him home. His mother and father were able to come and hold their son Philip while he died. To have lost your influence and your identity, to have struggled to the humiliation of this affair being brought to light, to have your oldest son die in such a senseless duel, Alexander, when he came to the United States and he was at King's College, he was going to chapel, he was writing hymns, he was praying. But you know what happens when you start becoming successful? You don't need God so much anymore. You become self-sufficient. I'm doing it all on my own. And he began to drift. And now he came to a period in life where he felt crushed. And he found himself going back to church, worshiping as a family, being with his family, taking long walks in the garden, praying. No, Hamilton was in a different spot when he went to that duel. And again, most historians say he had no intentions of going to try to kill Burr that day. No, we know that he understood this was a very dicey situation he would write a note to his wife Eliza saying, you're the sweetest and the best of wives ever and may God bless you, lean on your faith. But he also set an appointment for that afternoon at the office. He expected to be back in the office that afternoon working with a client. But he obviously knew he wasn't completely in control here. And so when they came to the duel, he shot to miss, and Burr shot him in the stomach. 
it would take him 36 hours to die. They brought him back home to New York. Eliza was there, his wife, his sister-in-law. He asked for a priest from the Church of England who came and gave him communion. Now communion is not only when you ask for the forgiveness of sin, but you and I know as ones who take that, it's when we offer forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. I believe Hamilton had come to a place in his life that he understood the world is wide enough for you and me. People who may be different in opinions and backgrounds, it's wide enough for us all. And so finally, lastly, the closing song of the musical, it's a, uh, the song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. I, I thought of this leper who had had such a difficult life and felt so unworthy, receiving this gift of grace that gave him a new opportunity, gave him a shot. I wondered what would be his story. What would he do with that opportunity? What would be the story? No matter the labels on you, you know God's grace. What is your story? The song is mainly sung by Eliza. When Eliza lost Alexander, she had to make a decision. Am I going to crater? Am I going to grieve the rest of my life? Or am I going to pull things back together and live? Turned out she would live another 50 years. Another 50 years. And she decided this was her shot. And what did she do with it? She would work for the next 50 years for the abolition of slavery. She was living now in that period from 1800 and the 1850s, before the Civil War, she worked for the abolition of slavery. She worked to help raise money for the Washington uh, Monument. But the thing she was proud of the most was she helped to start an orphanage, the first private orphanage in New York City. And she helped to create this orphanage and she literally helped hundreds of children. And she would write, Alexander, when I look into their face, I see you. I always see you. That orphanage that she helped to create almost 200 years ago still exists in New York City. It is now known as Graham Wyndham. And it is now involved in all kinds of social services for some of the kids in the most dire situations there in inner New York City. It's an incredible blessing that has gone on for almost 200 years. Her shot, it's telling her story. Lin-Manuel Miranda said, when we realized that Hamilton was going to be around for a while, it's going to be on Broadway for a while, he said, they made the decision, we've got to focus on the kids. we got to focus on the kids. And they thought, this is who needs to be able to come and to hear this musical, Hamilton. It's the kids. But they can't afford to come to this musical. First, how many would know they need to hear it? And second, they certainly can't afford it. 
And so they began working with the Rockefeller Foundation and others, raising funds and then trying to create other venues. And they created the student um, matinees. And now 20,000 children from New York City have been to see Hamilton. 20,000 children in Chicago have been to see Hamilton. And when they come and see Hamilton, then they go away, they are in small groups, they have curriculum, they talk with teachers. What is the message we're supposed to be hearing? What does this mean about me taking my shot, embracing my journey, my history, to say that I have an opportunity? Lynn now says, the thing that is the most meaningful and enjoyable in his life are these student matinees to see what happens. It was Philippa Sue. Philippa was the first Eliza on the Broadway production. Playing that character, she learned all about Eliza. And when she did, she was so overwhelmed with with this lady and her strength and what she did. She thought she's got to go down to Graham Wyndham Orphanage and that's what she did. She went down to meet the kids, to talk with those who worked there, to get to know them, hear their story. And so when she did, she came up with the idea. What if we got the, the cast of Hamilton to come and to work with these kids, to put on workshops, teach them skills, teach them how to write their story, how to write their song, how to produce it, to tell them that they have a future. What if the cast came and worked with the kids at Graham Wyndham as a way to honor Eliza Hamilton? It became known as the Eliza Project. And that's what they do. They come down, they help these kids, they start working with them, and they teach them, how do you tell your story through music? I got to watching some of the videos and there was a young woman named Tanya. She was 17 years old. And she started talking about how she'd love to write music, but she never played it for anyone because she knew it was bad because she had written it. And they were going to put on a production, but she knew she would mess it up for everybody. But they worked with her. You have a story to tell. And it's okay to be nervous. We're all nervous for we go on Broadway. You got to have the courage to try. So she worked on her story, her song. And she asked her mother to come to this production. Now, these aren't a small little thing. I mean, they, the people of Hamilton managed to get hold of Avatar Studios. And that's where they would go to perform and record their music. But she invited her mom to come. But she knew her mom would not be able to come. I mean, it was a long way. And the show would only be 15 minutes long. But on the day of the show, she was anxious. She was all nervous. And a person came up behind her and said, Is this seat taken? She turned around. And it was her mom. She hugged her mom. And her mom sat down. And she went up. And it was now her turn to be a part of this group to tell her story. It was all about learning to trust your journey. And I want to read you what Tanya wrote. Mama, I miss you. I just want to kiss you. 
I know when I was home, all I did was curse and issue. But now I want to go back, and going home is an issue. I'm sorry for the pain and the heartbreak that you went through. I'm sitting here praying because I made a mistake. You always had my back, but you needed a break. I was so selfish, you would give and I'd take. With your blood pressure rising and your life was at stake. Today's a new day. Today is a new day because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's your opportunity, your shot. So what's your story? It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.